This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We have a lot to talk about today. I believe we certainly do. We got to get to Vikings coaching search stuff as we have many, many times in the last couple weeks. I think we've reached a conclusion to it. Probably, and it's uh, it's interesting in only a way that the Vikings could have produced a result in this. And I'll get to that here in just a minute. Chris Hine will join me here in a little while, too, to talk Timberwolves. That team, 26 and 25, wanted to pick Chris's brain on a few different things on that team. Just you know, trade deadline coming up next week. Um, you know, why the offense has been so good lately and what we make of this team as well. So Chris will join me here in just a little bit. Got to talk a little bit about uh, U.S. men's national team winning 3 nothing at against Honduras at Allianz Field last night in the freezing cold. You guys, I went outside for like not very long yesterday. It was cold. I can't imagine having played in that, but I did watch some on television from the comfort of my home, and the soccer itself seemed to be pretty decent and wild. Get a five nothing win and uh, over over Chicago and Chicago's owner in uh, in some trouble over some comments he made, even if he did apologize for them later. But first, what did I miss? Got to lead at least one more time on the show with the Vikings coaching search. I'm sure we will talk. A lot more about this today on the Access Vikings podcast with Ben Gessling and Andrew Kramer. But I've got some thoughts right off the jump. Only the Vikings, only the Vikings could have produced a search like this. And I don't necessarily mean that in the best possible way. Look, They ended up with Kevin O'Connell. Uh, offensive coordinator for the Rams. That's re- that's who Ben Gessling in the, in the Star Tribune is reporting. A lot of others reporting will be their next head coach. Now, it can't be official until after the Super Bowl because the Rams are, are playing in the Super Bowl. That's a rule, so we got to wait at least 10 days from now to make this official. And, you know, there'll be some nervousness, I suppose, along the way, make sure nothing happens in the interim. But as long as everything goes okay, that will be the next head coach of the Vikings. Nothing wrong with that. This is the this is exactly the kind of coach you might have guessed they were going to hire when this search began, right? Offensive coordinator Young, he's only 36. He's just a few years older than Kirk Cousins, presumably, unless they make a trade, the quarterback he will be working with next season. Now, he's already worked with Kirk Cousins. He was the quarterback's coach in Washington in 2017, when Cousins was there in his final season before entering free agency and signing with the Vikings. And Cousins had quite a good year in 2017 when O'Connell was there um, you know, helping run the show with the quarterbacks. He had a, his, his QBR that year was, was pretty solid. He had 4,093 yards, uh, 27 touchdowns. So he, he had a good season there, although I would say his 15 and 16 seasons were better. So that's what we know about Kevin O'Connell. He also has a relationship with uh, Quasi Adolfo Mensa from a, a year spent together in San Francisco was apparently on his, you know, on his short list of people to talk to. That's good. That is fine. He, again, seems like the young up and comer that you might have guessed they would have hired at the beginning of this cycle, kind of the rule of opposites, if we, as we've often talked about 
uh, with Mike Zimmer, uh, you know, out now. Now, the reason this feels probably to some people like a letdown is you had the whole Jim Harbaugh factor kind of blow up in their faces. Jim Harbaugh, you know, emerged as a surprise candidate Saturday when we learned they were talking to him and interviewed with the Vikings on Wednesday. And the presumption, and I think it was a good one, is that it was his job to lose. Um, you know, he, that, 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 you know, you don't get this far down the road with someone like Jim Harbaugh, who's been a successful NFL head coach, who has a good job as the head coach at Michigan right now, without thinking this is going to be the guy. But for whatever happened in this interview process, um, they get through the end of the, the process on Wednesday, and Harbaugh is heading back to Michigan. Now, just as fans had started to talk themselves into Okay, Jim Harbaugh, let, let's get on board for this. He he doesn't seem to he fits all this talk about collaboration and communication, but you know he's a winner, right? So everybody's getting on board that they've talked themselves into it, or they've you know, or they've really gotten excited about the idea of Jim Harbaugh, and just like that, the rug is pulled out. He's not coming here, and so O'Connell feels like a plan B, and it feels like a letdown to a certain degree, even if it is the kind of coach. You would probably would have imagined at the very beginning would be a strong candidate for this job. So only the Vikings in that regard. Second piece of this that is interesting that I brought up on Wednesday's show. They interviewed four people that we could probably could consider finalists for this job. It seemed like Harbaugh was a front runner. He did not end up getting the job. He's white. Kevin O'Connell, who ended up getting the job, he is white. Two other people interviewed for the job, Patrick Graham, defensive coordinator from the Giants, and Raheem Morris, defensive coordinator for the Rams, on, on the same staff as O'Connell. Both of them are black. So you have the situation now where black coaches are not getting hired in this coaching cycle, a very familiar story. Um, you know, this would be the fifth hire in this cycle. All five coaches hired are white you have the backdrop of the Brian Flores lawsuit, which alleges a lot of different things, including um, that a lot of these interviews that take place in the NFL with minority candidates to satisfy the Rooney rule are shams, that they're, they're just satisfying the rule and they aren't really serious about giving a, a good look at some of these candidates. Now, it's, it's a tricky one, right? It's, I think a team should have the opportunity to hire what, you know, whatever coach they deem the best fit for whatever team it is. Kevin O'Connell is an offensive coach. I don't think there's anything, you know, inherently wrong about his candidacy. What I do think is wrong is exactly what Flores is talking about, because I do think these interviews a lot of times are a sham. And I think it's, you know, I think it's something the league is going to have to address. And I think the Vikings are finding themselves right in the middle of that subject and for good reason. So, that is another tentacle to this search that we have to pay attention to going forward, even as they seem to have have identified the type of coach in terms of age and in terms of what side of the ball he is on that seemed to make sense when this search started. So a very Vikings coaching search, I will put it that way. I don't think there's, you know, I don't think there's any reason to doubt Kevin O'Connell at this point. I think he could do a very good job here. I just think the way they got here. Uh, will leave people a little bit, you know, a little bit disappointed, I think, in, in, in a couple of different ways. And we will see, you know, once once he gets here, assuming he does get here, how uh, how quickly that uh, any of that bad kind of sentiment 
evaporates and they get going here because you know it's a it's a big hire. They you know this is a franchise that could go a couple different ways right now. And if O'Connell isn't the right hire, this could be like I've talked about on a previous show, a start of a prolonged uh, stretch of losing. So we will see, wait and see, like always. But um, the process itself, not the greatest. And I think we'll talk about that more today on Access Vikings, like I said. But, you know, for now, it sounds like they've got their guy. Whether that's the right guy remains to be seen. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Excited to have back on Daily Delivery, Chris Hine, of course, covers the Timberwolves for the Star Tribune. He's been on the road almost as much as they have in the last month. Chris, how you doing? Probably more than they have, actually, because uh, they get to fly private and leave certain cities at certain times, and I have to stay and fly commercial the next day. So I think I've traveled more than they have. You have. I, I've gave you, I give you kudos for that. Um, you had a successful month of January, and so did they, setting up an interesting February. I think where we need to start today is the trade deadline, which is, you know, a week from now. And there's been plenty of chatter about what might mm-hmm. happen, um, you know, adding, subtracting. They've got some expiring contracts, but they also are in a position now where they're, you know, looking in very good shape to make the play in and having some loftier goals, perhaps, of even finishing flat out in the top six in, in the West. Um, as, as you think about this team and what they might be thinking about heading into the deadline, what, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right in terms of their goals for the season. When I, when I had an interview with uh, Sachin Gupta about, I think it was about maybe two weeks ago now at the midpoint of the season, we talked about the deadline and kind of how he was setting his sights with it, with the deadline coming up. And at the time he was like, look, like we're closer to the fifth seed than we are the, the 10th seed. He's like, there's, there's a chance here to maybe move up into that six seed, five seed range. Um, and, and I think, but I, what I think is important to remember is that they're not going to try and just sell out to move up a seed or two. They're not going to, make a move that's going to be any kind of rental player or anything that's going to compromise kind of long-term goals. If they're going to trade assets, it's going to be for a player that can, you know, maybe also help them now, but also help them a couple years into the future here. So that's one thing to keep in mind is that they're not really looking for, for rental deals. Um, that's, that's just not kind of how this front office will operate. And, but they do see an opportunity to, to maybe get better, try to get better now and try to get better uh, within the future. And that's a, it's an interesting place for them to be, right? Cause they, as of recording, they're 26 and 25. They've had, you know, these kind of spurts where they you know win five in a row, then they lose five of six, then they kind of get, get hot again. And I think even Chris Finch alluded to it after their most recent win over Denver, where it's like, everybody seems to be, kind of figuring out their roles right now and they're, they're playing for each other and they, they like each other. It's a good team to be around, but they've also seen kind of these good, these kind of good stretches and good vibrations kind of dissipate in, into, you know, these, these losing stretches. And I wouldn't imagine that's 
right on the horizon. They've got some some favorable games coming up with Detroit and um, Sacramento making up the next four, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, it's it's a hard team to evaluate just because they have been so up and down and because they are such an interesting roster mix. I think you're right. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want a couple wins or, to maybe, you know, change the, pers- the long-term perspective. They, they had some nice games against Utah and, and Denver here. A lot of c- contributions up and down the roster. You know, but I, I think it's so important to take a big picture view of this roster. Uh, the offense has really improved of late. Um, you know, I think number one defensive rating since the start of January or, or something along those lines. Um, you know, they've gotten by without uh, a, a kind of a traditional four. Jared Vanderbilt has really emerged this season. Um, and, and such a group to set any trade, he has to be mindful of potentially potentially eating into Jared Vanderbilt's minutes because they they like what he's what he's done uh, this season. So zooming out a little bit, you know, I think there's still room for some size on this roster. I think you know anybody wants shooting on this roster, um, you know, or uh, anybody around the league wants shooting too. So that can come at a premium sometimes in, in trade negotiations, you know, especially for guys who might be available like a, like a Harrison Barnes in Sacramento, for instance. Um, so we'll, we'll see kind of how, how this front office views it. But I, I think one thing we've learned about this team is that this team is always is evolving as the season goes along. So I don't know if we, you know what you're going to have by the time April rolls around and how that affects um, you know, long-term trajectories for certain young players on the team. You know, Patrick Beverly seems fairly content here in Minnesota. He tweets all the time about how much he loves it here. Um, you know, I, I, we'll see if, you know, when the chips are down and, and maybe some offers come in, just kind of how the team and he feels about them, if, if any do over the next week or so. But, you know, I, I've started to see this sentiment on social media, at least among kind of the diehard fans over the last couple couple of weeks here, where it's like, you know what, maybe we should just let this roster ride to the end of the season, see what we got, see what happens in the play-in and the playoffs, and then you know, maybe in the off-season is where you, you make whatever adjustments you think you need to make after you get a full season under your belt. I mean, that seems sensible if boring uh, for the you know for the chatter <laughs> in, in the next right. week it, when you when you have a harder time evaluating when they, when you you know one thing seems to point in one direction and then it changes it is it is difficult i think you're right beverly would probably be a, an interesting you know trade chip for an, you know another team to acquire and you've got you know torian prince's expiring contract although he's been contributing more lately as well um, you know, but you're right. Sometimes maybe it's just better to ride that out. If you've got decent chemistry going, if you, you know, gain some of that flexibility after those contracts do expire, depending on what you want to do with Beverly and Prince in, in the future, it's not the worst thing in the world to not do anything. It's just an unfamiliar position for them probably because they're, they're kind of used to being primarily deadline sellers or, you know, trying to acquire, you know, another young centerpiece, kind of like they did a couple of years ago with D'Angelo Russell. It's 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 kind of they're in an unfamiliar position, I guess, for where they're for the, where they're fr- where the franchise has been. Yeah, I I would agree with that, and and just it's an unfamiliar position to do nothing, you know, especially when you consider the history of of 
you know, Gerson Rosas before him and now Sachin and Gupta, you know, these guys make trades. Like that's, that's how they engineer the roster. Right. And this is how Sachin and Gupta has made his reputation in the NBA. It's through trades. Um, you know, but you, you hear it all the time. Sometimes the best trade is the one that you don't make. Um, and we'll see how that philosophy plays out. One, one, one thing, you know, Sachin is not the, you know, he's not the permanent head. He's not been named the permanent head of basketball operations. Um, so some people might think that there's a temptation uh, for him to, to want to make a move to, to kind of make his name, make his mark on the job while he has it. Um, he refuted that, that notion. Um, he said, he's not going to do that. Um, you know, his, his priority is whatever is in the best interest of the team um, long-term. And yeah, I, I think it, it, it could happen where they don't really make too much of a splash here at the deadline last year. I think we were kind of expecting a move from, from, from Rosas and none materialized and they stood pat at the deadline and, you know, they made their moves in the off season. And like you said, you know, with this team evolving with it, with it turning in some nice performances, having a good month of January, uh, looking better in the playoff seating above 500 now, you know, is there is there really that much of, of an urgency to make a move? Because, you know, and, and let's take let's take a longer view again. You know, the season as a whole has been we came into the season saying, oh, look, if the Wolves don't make significant improvements here, you know, maybe Carl Anthony Towns is going to want out or something like that. Right. Well, you know, if they continue on this plane, you could say this season was a was a success because they, they went from one of the worst teams in the West to being, you know, potentially a six, seven, eight seed in the West. And, and that's the kind of incremental jumps that we've seen some franchises around the West make Denver did it, you know, a few years ago where they, you know, memorably had game 82 against the wolves. And, you know, the next few years, they're perennial, they're a perennial playoff team. We've seen Memphis, now do this where they're they become a, a playing team and now they're jumping up into the upper echelon of the western conference so if you look at it that way this is this could be considered maybe step one of of that process of of becoming a fringe playoff team becoming a lower seed and then going up from there if the expectation going into the year was let's try you know let's try to at least get into the play-in is what we've seen from them so far, what we've seen from some of the other, you know, more notable franchises in the Western Conference that maybe aren't playing as well as we thought, including certainly the Lakers. Portland has fallen off this year in part because of injuries. Even the Clippers are kind of hovering around 500. Does that change expectations at this point for kind of where this team could and should finish? I think so. You know, with the Clippers, I, I take that with a grain of salt because they're missing their two best players right now. So the Clippers team you see now, you know, we'll see if Kawhi comes back, but certainly Paul George will be back at some point. Um, the Lakers just seems like a, a, a disaster hat right now with, with everything going on there. We'll see what they're able to pull off at the deadline going forward. But but I think you're right with, with, I certainly think the Wolves are better than Portland, um, even if, you know, everybody was healthy there. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's kind of, they're kind of where they are in the Western Conference. Like they're slotted in behind kind of these more traditional, these more established teams, I guess you could say that, you know, Phoenix, Utah, Memphis, Dallas, Denver, 
um, teams that have had recent playoff success that have had fairly stable rosters, unlike, you know, say the Lakers, which have had a, a lot of turnover. Um, so it, it, it feels about right where they are in the Western Conference standings, it, especially, you know, when you look at it through the lens of them just trying to make incremental improvements as a franchise. This this feels about where they where they probably should be um, and probably maybe where they envisioned before the season. Defense was getting it done early in the season. It's not like that's fallen apart, but I think what we expected was this, this would be a pretty good offensive team, and that's what they've become since January 1st. I think you alluded to it there, but they've been one of the best offensive rating teams in the league in the last month since 2022 started. I think their net rating right now is like fifth in the league since that time, so they've been you know pretty good overall. And Chris Finch is fond of saying something to the effect of let the basketball do the work. Um, I think that was pretty evident against Denver. Um, is this just a function of getting more comfortable in the offense, sharing the ball, or, or what have you seen that's been working particularly well for them to put them in this offensive kind of loftier position? I think, I think a little bit of, of all of that, uh, getting more comfortable guys like Torian Prince getting more comfortable, certainly, you know, uh, half a season under, under his belt in Minnesota, and he looks like a, a, a much different player than he was at the beginning of the season. Um, they've learned, I think, how to play with each other a little better. Um, the, the COVID absence, they all point to the COVID absence as having a, a, big, a big impact on this team because a lot, of the, you know, a lot of the starters were out for a significant time there during late December, early January. And so it was mostly the, the bench and the reserves that were kind of carrying the team for a few weeks there. And they played with, they played with pace. They, they moved the ball. They, the ball didn't really stop. You know, it wasn't always pretty. They weren't always making shots. But the way that they played offense uh, had an impact on, on the team as a whole. So when the starters got back, they, they had a little blueprint for how this offense should look. And you, I think you've seen that, that guys are trying to make quicker decisions. Cat, D'Lo, Ant, when they're healthy – uh, are you know sharing the ball a little more, playing off each other a little more, not necessarily playing hero ball where it's here one possession it's your turn, one possession it's your turn. They're they're a little more seamlessly integrated now, and I yeah I think that yeah I think you could point to that as as a a little bit of a turning point on the season at least on the offensive end of the floor. Interesting insights all around, Chris Hine. Appreciate as always. Uh, get to get yourself a little bit of rest out there in Detroit and we will we'll catch up with you soon all right yes hopefully I don't sound too tired today <laughs> you sounded fine thanks Chris thanks Mike good stuff from Chris Hine what's kind of a bummer is Chris Hine is a big San Francisco 49ers fan and so at the end of our Timberwolves talk uh, that we uh, that we recorded on Wednesday I asked him about Jim Harbaugh like what was it like being a fan of the 49ers when Jim Harbaugh was there, and he gave a you know, good answer about how he loved it, how the team had been terrible um, before before Harbaugh arrived, and how Harbaugh had kind of turned that whole franchise around. And I asked him that, you know, anticipating maybe using it on today's show if Harbaugh had been hired, and then, of course, he was not. So that part lands on the cutting room floor because I don't want to rub salt in the wound for anybody who really wanted Jim Harbaugh to be the Vikings coach, but... Suffice to say, Chris Hine was a big Jim Harbaugh fan when he was in San Francisco. They played a soccer game 
at Allianz Field on Wednesday night. Not just any soccer game, a very important one, U.S. men's national team against Honduras in a World Cup qualifier that the U.S. badly needed to win to stay on pace to qualify for the 2022 World Cup. Now, they did get that win. Three to nothing was fairly comfortable in terms of the result. They scored, you know, a couple of early goals in the first half, added one late in the second half to, you know, to go up 3-0. And, uh, you know, from that standpoint, the outcome didn't really seem like it was ever in doubt. Now, they do, the problem was it was like zero degrees outside with a wind chill of like minus 15, minus 20. I spent very little time outside on Wednesday. The time I did spend outside was painful. Really, it was not great. And just the fact that they, the, going back to the fact that they scheduled this game on February 2nd, I get you know, I get that there's this kind of gamesmanship that goes on in qualifying where, you know, teams from, you know, a, you know, teams from countries that aren't used to playing in the cold, the U.S. likes to schedule these games in, you know, northern cities sometimes <clears throat> in the wintertime to try to take advantage of the difference in temperature. That's, you know, and that's fine if it's 30 or 40 degrees outside, but making everybody play in this kind of condition, I probably made for a memorable night for a lot of fans, but that just can't it can't be a good thing for the players. I mean, two two Honduras players got hypothermia in this game. I mean, I'm it, I'm not making that up. The Honduras manager after the game, this is a translated quote, said, "It's not normal. It's inconceivable that a power in every sense would bring you here to play a game and get a result." The game hasn't started, but I can't wait for it to end. This must have been pregame because it's not for enjoying, it's for suffering. That's a, If you want a description of some of these days in Minnesota winters, not all days, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the 20, 25 degree days are certainly fun for getting outside and doing some winter activities, but the coldest days in Minnesota's winters, um, because it's not for enjoying, it's for suffering. That is a very apt description of what it is like to live here in the coldest, coldest days. And they made them play a soccer game in that. It's kind of ridiculous. The U.S. is a better side already. Why do they need to go to these extreme temperature lengths to try to get an extra advantage? I don't know. It, it, it worked out okay as long as everybody gets back to full health, but... I think they can do better next time. If they're going to schedule a qualifier, you know, try to do it a little earlier in the cycle. Even something in November would be fine or when, whenever they could schedule it in the fall, early spring. But in the winter, I don't think so. You, you got to avoid that next time. It's great that it was here, but let's not do that again. And let's end with the cooler. The Wild gets a 5 nothing win over Chicago. Maybe Chicago, uh, that was some karmic payback for their owner, uh, Rocky Wirtz, you know, going off on reporters during a town hall on Wednesday to try to ask him about the Kyle Beach situation. You know, Kyle Beach, former Blackhawks player who alleged sexual assault by the team's video coach. And, you know, some, some reporters during the town hall asking Rocky Wirtz, you know, what kind of protections are there in the organization to make sure that doesn't happen again? And he went off on them said you know we're not here to talk about the past we're you know this is our business stuff like that had to issue an apology in the middle of that game Wednesday night so 
Not that that was necessarily a distraction for the players, but a 5 nothing win for the Wild in that game with that as a backdrop. The Wild cruising into the All-Star break, you know, a whole bunch of you know, just a whole bunch of good performances stacked on top of each other. They have 28 wins in just 41 games. It's the exact season midpoint, and it was kind of the same story uh, that, that's been going all season. You know, good balanced scoring, good stuff from Kirill Kaprizov yesterday. Um, just everything clicking for them right now, including Matt Boldy uh, doing his thing again. He hasn't lost, um, in regulation at least, since joining the team, so... A lot of things to like about the Wild and that performance, and we'll talk about that a lot more on Friday's show when Sarah McClellan joins me for uh, kind of a mid-season report on the Wild. So look forward to that on Friday. Look forward to plenty of other stuff as well. Check out today's Access Vikings podcast as we break down the Vikings coaching hire and coaching search a little bit more as well. That'll do it for me here today. I'm Michael Rand, back at it again on Friday.